Welcome to The Almost Forgotten, the podcast that looks at the lives of great historical figures who have fallen through the cracks of our collective memories. This season is going to be focused on one storyline, similar to the series of episodes on the Diadochi and the Dutch Republic. This time we'll be talking about the late medieval state of Burgundy, whose power rivaled the kingdoms and empires of 15th century Europe. In this episode, we'll begin to talk about Burgundy, which was a region in eastern France that was a kingdom in the first millennium AD and nearly became one again in the 15th century. We'll get into the history of the region leading up to Burgundy's Golden Age, led by the powerful Dukes of Burgundy. This episode will probably be a bit shorter than they usually are. We're just laying the groundwork here. The next episodes, which I plan on putting out every other week after this, will be a bit longer. But I couldn't bring myself to chop apart the lives of each of the successive Dukes of Burgundy, so we'll run through them one by one, and in doing so, run through the history of the state of Burgundy. Maps and images can be found on the website, almostforgotten.squarespace.com. I think I was able to set up the website to take comments this year, something that I never realized couldn't be done before this, so you can always hit me up there, I think. Otherwise, comments or questions can be directed to my email, almostforgottenpodcast.gmail.com, or you can find me on Twitter, at the Almost Forgot. This is Season 6, Episode 1. It's Part 1 of the series on Burgundy, the origins of Burgundy. And this is The Almost Forgotten. The Duchy of Burgundy didn't become a duchy, in this case a fiefdom, high in stature, but still under the suzerainty of the French king, until the early 900s AD. Prior to that, it was many things. But before getting into its history, I want to broadly define where it is. I'm sure most of you have an idea that Burgundy is part of France, but maybe that's about it. So let's start with the modern region of Burgundy, or Bourgogne in French. In probably its broadest definition, it's a region in eastern France that stretches across the central part of the country, basically north of an imaginary line that would bisect France. It essentially has the same north-south borders as Switzerland, which is its neighbor to the east. There's another region called Franche-Comté that sits in between the Duchy of Burgundy and Switzerland, but we'll get to that. At the time of the dawn of the Golden Age of Burgundy, the second half of the 14th century, France was in turmoil. It was in the middle of the Hundred Years' War, where the kings of England held some legitimate claims to the French throne and fought for generations over the crown. The wars were made a bit easier for the English because they had claims to the Duchy of Aquitaine that were recognized by the French crown. To the southwest, Castile and Aragon vied for power, along with Portugal. The Emirate of Granada still had a foothold in the south, often supported by the Marinid Sultanate across the waters in Morocco. Navarre, a small kingdom in the Basque country along the Pyrenees, had strong ties to France, especially as its king held land in Normandy. And he played a role in the Hundred Years' War. 
at least until he was accidentally lit on fire and died in 1387. To the east of France, the Holy Roman Empire ruled Central Europe, and its ruling House of Luxembourg also held the lands of the Bohemian crown, so its center of gravity was Prague in the east. Jan Hus would be preaching there in the 1390s. The Hussites that we talked about last season came to prominence in the early 1400s. The empire also held much of northern Italy, and to the south lay the Papal States, and then the Kingdom of Naples. To its east was the Kingdom of Poland, which, in 1385, would form a personal union with the Grand Duchy of Lithuania, under King Yogaila, and the Teutonic Order had its own state to the northeast. While not an independent state, the Hanseatic League was at its peak of power across northern Europe, trading as far east as the Novgorod Republic. South of that republic lay the Duchy of Moscow, which was still trying to shake off Mongol hegemony, while further south, the Byzantine Empire had recaptured Constantinople from the Latins in 1261, but it was in its final death throes as the Turks grew in power in the region. The Golden Horde had been the dominant power over most of the Central Eurasian steppe, but it was beginning to fragment by the middle of the century. The Mamluk Sultanate was the power in Egypt, while to the east the Ilkhanate that ruled Mesopotamia, Persia, and Afghanistan had fragmented into smaller, mostly Mongol or Turkic Khanates. To the east of them, Timur, or Tamerlane, began ruling Transoxiana in the 1360s and started conquering lands mostly to his south and west over the next few decades. The Delhi Sultanate ruled much of India and was at its height during the 14th century, having mostly repelled several Mongol attempts at invasion the century prior. The Great Ming came to rule China in 1368, that dynasty overthrowing the Mongol Yuan dynasty after a period of unrest. The Moromaki Shogunate ruled Japan, although it still faced resistance from the previous dynasty, and the country was divided for much of the century. In Southeast Asia, the Khmer Empire had entered its decline phase, while the Pagan Kingdom of Burma had disintegrated a century earlier, and it would be another century before the Twangu would emerge to unite the region. The Ayutthaya Kingdom was beginning to emerge in Thailand, and to the south, Srivijaya was collapsing while one of its princes, Paramasawara, was founding the Malacca Sultanate. In the New World, the Kingdom of Cusco was still basically a city-state, and wouldn't begin its conquest of what was called the Four Regions until the 1430s, forming the Inca Empire. In the first half of the 14th century, the Mexica people built their new capital at Tenochtitlan, but the Tepanac Empire was still the main power in the region, ruling much of the Valley of Mexico. The Maya were in their late post-classical period on the Yucatan, while the Quiche Kingdom, based in southwest Guatemala, was rising in power. Further north saw the collapse of the Hohokam culture in the American Southwest. To their east, there was a migration of the ancestral Pueblo peoples south towards the Rio Grande River, while the Middle Mississippian culture flourished in the lands around the central Mississippi River Valley, east to the Appalachians, although the great city of Cahokia was probably abandoned by this time. Back across the Atlantic, the Mali Empire ruled much of western sub-Saharan Africa, 
its wealth famously displayed by Mansa Musa on his pilgrimage to Mecca in the 1320s. To the east of that lay the Kanembornu Empire, ruling over much of today's Chad, plus parts of the surrounding region, including northern Nigeria, while the kingdom of Benin was in coastal Nigeria. Further east, the Kushite successor states of Makuria and Alodia were finally in decline after about a thousand years. And in Ethiopia, the Solomonic dynasty had reestablished itself, and that empire had begun to grow and flourish again. So, back to this not terribly large region in central eastern France. By the 1300s, Burgundy was certainly an established region, as the general area had been known as Burgundy for seven or eight centuries. Burgundy's name comes from the Burgundian tribe that had once lived there. The original Burgundians were an East Germanic people who traced their origins to the island of Bornholm, conveniently called Burgundaholmer in Old Norse. This is now a Danish island, although it sits to the east of Denmark in the Baltic Sea, south of Sweden. The Burgundians may have been a tribe of one of the larger Germanic groups, the Vandals or the Goths, and they were probably in Eastern and Central Europe with these groups by the 3rd century AD, migrating west with them over the next few hundred years. At times they allied with Rome, but as the Western Roman Empire began crumbling, they joined in with their fellow Germanic tribes to establish their own kingdoms. The Burgundians all came out to settle on the Lake Geneva shoreline, and that's where Burgundia first began to emerge, before they expanded west and south, almost as far as the Mediterranean. As Clovis, Season 2, Episode 7, consolidated the Frankish kingdom, King Gundabad was the king of the Burgundians, not the witch king of Angmar, and he was a powerful ruler. He had a strong, if not huge, state lodged in between the kingdom of the Franks and the Ostrogoths who claimed Italy and its northern expanses as the successor state to the crumbled Western Empire. This strong, if not huge, state lodged in between two others would be a familiar theme for Burgundy, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Clovis's son conquered the Burgundian kingdom and absorbed it into the nascent Frankish kingdom, where it stayed for a few hundred years, until after Charlemagne's time, when that whole empire began to fracture. The Treaty of Verdun in 843 AD, which chopped up Charlemagne's kingdom into East Francia, West Francia, and Lotharingia in the middle, split up Burgundia. Some of it went to the west and became a duchy, some of it stayed with Lotharingia. The Sone River, which eventually flows south and joins the Rhine at the city of Lyon, became a border, with the duchy on the west side and the other piece of Burgundy left over to the east. After Lothair's death, Lotharingia was named after him, his kingdom in the middle fractured, and the parts to the east of the Sone River became an independent kingdom again, called Upper Burgundy. Further south, down the Rhone River, was the kingdom called Lower Burgundy, which covered the regions of Savoy and Provence. Lower and Upper Burgundy were eventually united in what was called the Kingdom of Arles, or Arles, or Aralat, in the 10th century. But the French Duchy of Burgundy stayed part of France. 
In the late 9th and early 10th century, the Duke, Richard, held off invasions by his brother Boso, who happened to be the king of Lower Burgundy. He also held back Norman invasions, took in refugees from said invasions, and earned the nickname Richard the Justiciar. He also expanded his territory, but he remained loyal to the king of France. He helped grow the Duchy of Burgundy, but he also helped solidify it as part of France. In the early 11th century, the duchy was inherited by Otto William from his father, who also had inherited Upper Burgundy from his mother. Upper Burgundy, though, was no longer an independent kingdom or part of Arles at this point. This region east of the Sone River was now a county of the Holy Roman Empire, and it was called Franche-Comte. When the Capetian king of France, Robert the Pious, decided he needed to expand his royal territory, he chose to annex Burgundy outright. Rather than have it be an inherited duchy, Robert wanted it to be part of his personal holdings as king. Otto William didn't like this, and he started a decade-long conflict. When he was finally defeated there, Otto William decided to place his bets in the east. He tried to declare his Franche-Comte independent of the Holy Roman Empire, but his need for expansion brought him into conflict with the King of Arles in Lower Burgundy. The king allied with the emperor, Henry II, and named him as heir. Otto William didn't get his way, and Franche-Comte would remain a part of the Holy Roman Empire. Arles, too, would become an imperial territory, thanks to its new heir, although it would remain a kingdom under the empire, at least for a little while. However, distant from the center of gravity of imperial politics, pieces of it would slowly start being absorbed into the kingdom of France, as regions within Provence and Savoy were slowly taken over time. After bringing the Duchy of Burgundy back into the fold, the House of Capet began consolidating it by grabbing small fiefs when their family line had no heirs, and by purchasing others, so that soon, whoever was to be named the Duke of Burgundy would have included direct rule over quite a bit of territory. Thoroughly French now, but eventually inheritable again, the Duke of Burgundy worked to expand their powers during this consolidation. Duke Odo IV was even able to incorporate Franche-Comte back into his territory through his marriage to Joan II, the Countess of Burgundy. The other Burgundy, that is. Franche-Comte. But Franche-Comte remained part of the Holy Roman Empire, so Odo ruled two Burgundies and technically had different allegiances for each one. I want to linger on that for just a bit, just for clarity. There were two Burgundies. One was the French-controlled Duchy of Burgundy. The other, to the east of the Sone River, was the Holy Roman Empire's County of Burgundy, known as Franche-Comte. Okay, so under the French Capetian kings, Burgundy grew stronger. Richard Vaughan, in the introduction to his first book on the great dukes, Philip the Bold, wrote of the region, quote, From 1032 onwards, the Duchy of Burgundy was ruled in unbroken succession by descendants of Hugh Capet, the first Capetian king of France. It was one of the largest and wealthiest fiefs of the French crown, 
and on the whole, its dukes, though intent on consolidating their own authority and enlarging their own territories, were staunch supporters of the Capetian rulers of France, unquote. The duchy set up its administration similar to that of the Kingdom of France, and it was a bulwark of Christian worship and thinking. And thanks to Benedictine reforms established at the Abbey of Cluny, it became a leader of Western monasticism. In the 1300s, when the ruling Capetian line ended, kicking off the Hundred Years' War, the House of Valois ruled over France. But the Burgundians stayed true to their cadet branch cousins. Burgundy was part of France, not some forcefully administrated conquered territory. Then, in 1361, the young Duke of Burgundy, Philip of Rouvre, died. He was only 17. But he died from that other thing that was ravaging France at the time besides the English, the Black Death. Probably. Some sources claim it was a riding accident. Anyway, he had no heir. He was 17, and his wife, or betrothed, was, uh, five, so... Though the duchy had been ruled by the same family for over 300 years, Burgundy was now dukeless. King John of France, John the Good, jumped in and claimed it, based on his own lineage. But before we get to that, Burgundy was now also missing a count on the imperial Franche Comte side. Actually, before we even get to that, I just want to warn you, I'm going to talk about European noble houses for a moment and briefly touch on inheritances, so it may make your eyes cross. But what's important to remember is that while it seems odd that the Capetian monarchs could have held counties in the Holy Roman Empire, or that said counties went in and out of their hands, the perspective was a bit different at the time. France was a strong medieval power in the 10th and 11th century, but it didn't necessarily see itself as, you know, the state of France. The monarchs were more concerned with their house's holdings than what was or wasn't the kingdom itself. Sure, any additional territory added to their prestige, and France was a real and existing state, but it wasn't France. In the 12th century, half of the kingdom of France was held by the king of England, Henry II. Henry was a French-born, French-speaking heir to the county of Anjou and the Duchy of Normandy, and he then married the Duchess of Aquitaine. In addition to all these French titles, he also happened to be Henry II, King of England. This was all before the Hundred Years' War kicked off, so it goes to show why some historians think of the Hundred Years' War as just the final stage of several centuries of warfare between French claimants to the French throne. So while countries in a broad sense did exist, this was about families and holdings, not what belongs in France or Germany. Not to say those feelings weren't starting to enter the lexicon, but thinking of it that way helps me understand some of these machinations. And this was also before the real French and imperial rivalry, which turned into a Franco-German rivalry, which really began as a French-Habsburg rivalry which really started at least in part because of Burgundy in the 15th century and continued until, I guess, the late 1940s. So as the 14th century opened, the King of France 
it was actually in a pretty good position. France had taken much of what we'd call Western France over the previous centuries, and the territories held by that French-blooded lord who also happened to be king of England was limited to Gascony, a region in southwest France. And then, in 1328, the Capetian line died out, and Edward III, king of England, was sort of technically the next in line to the French throne. Sort of. Depends on who you ask. Of course, the French nobility didn't want their king to be someone living in England. Although, if you want to have free reign in your own duchy, having your king on the other side of the water ain't such a bad idea. But no, they were beginning to feel, what's the word, French? So, instead they gave the crown to the first cousin of the last Capetian king, the son of the Count of Valois, who would be known as Philip VI from the House of Valois. The House of Valois, a cadet branch of the Capetian dynasty, became the ruling house, and Edward actually gave homage as the Duke of Aquitaine. This peaceful relationship, or at least not openly at war relationship, lasted about a decade before tensions boiled over. The two sides decided they ought to fight it out. Edward claimed he should have independent authority in Aquitaine. He would no longer pay homage to the French king. And actually, come to think of it, he was the rightful French king now too, so take that, Philip. Thus began the Hundred Years' War, and for the next 100, check that, 150 years, the kings of England also claimed the French throne. And they often did it with armies. And for a time, they were actually able to grab the crown, sit on the throne in Paris, and actually be the kings of France. Okay, so back to the interlude before the interlude. So on the French side of the Sone River, Burgundy was a duchy, but on the east side it was an inheritable county of the Holy Roman Empire. Philip of Rouvre had held that territory through his mother, and when he died it went back to that line, to the next best claimant, his Aunt Margaret. And Margaret was actually the daughter of the French Capetian King Philip V. She had married the Count of Flanders, who died at the Battle of Cressy, one of the most important and devastating for the French battles in the Hundred Years' War. So she got all his stuff, because their son, Louis of Mal, was too young, so she acted as the regent. So Margaret held imperial Burgundy and was the regent for Flanders until Louis of Mal got older. All right, now, finally, back to the French Duchy of Burgundy. So, King John the Good of France. He was the grandson of Duke Robert of Burgundy through his mother, he probably had the best claim to the duchy, other than maybe Charles the Bad of Navarre. Margaret, who we just mentioned, now the Countess of Burgundy to the east, had some claim to the duchy herself, but she agreed not to pursue it. Charles the Bad had both claims to Burgundy through his mother, as well as paternal claims to the French throne itself. But they didn't call him Charles the Bad because people liked him. And he was fraternizing with the English in the middle of the Hundred Years' War, so Burgundy itself wasn't thrilled with giving him the title. Meanwhile, John the Good's allies kept him informed of the young Duke's illness, and he moved quickly to claim the duchy immediately after Rouvre died. He outmaneuvered Charles the Bad and was awarded it by the people in Burgundy, with a few conditions. 
According to Joseph Calmet in his The Golden Age of Burgundy, quote, The estates, eagerly voicing the mood of the Burgundian entity, made several respectful but firm pronouncements. The duchy intends to remain a duchy. It has no wish to become a province of the royal domain. There should be no administrative changes. Joined to the kingdom by virtue of one man's rights, Burgundy could never agree to being absorbed into it. There was a personal link between the two territories, but that was all. Calmet notes that they weren't just making up all of these things. King Louis X had issued the Burgundian Charter in 1315 that at least presaged these ideas. He also notes that as French as the Burgundians felt they were, they clearly felt that they were something besides that, too. Not that John necessarily wanted to listen to them. He planned to incorporate the duchy into his personal holdings and make it part of royal territory. He even stated as such. However, he had a change of heart. Now, maybe it was because of worry about unrest by these people there. But maybe it had something to do with the negotiations he worked with the Holy Roman Empire on. You see, regardless of whether it remained a duchy or just part of, essentially, the crown lands, it's not entirely clear that John was planning to pull the Duchy of Burgundy out of his personal holdings and give it to someone else. He could be the King of France and the Duke of Burgundy if he wanted. But he had started a negotiation with the brother of his deceased first wife, Bonn. This brother-in-law of King John happened to be Holy Roman Emperor. It appears that they came to some sort of accord that would allow John's youngest son, Philip, to be named the Count of Franche-Comte. Maybe. There also appeared to have been an attempt at a marriage arrangement between Philip and Joanna of Naples, who not only was the Queen Regnant of Lower Italy, she was also the Countess of Provence. This was appealing to John because he could have reunited much of the original kingdom of Burgundy through his youngest son, Philip. He could give Philip the duchy, negotiate him into the county, and then get Provence thrown in through marriage, and voila, Burgundy, just like in the old days. But it was not to be, and the marriage fell through. However, another marriage was soon in the works, and a new Burgundy would soon emerge. And while the old kingdom of Burgundy was south-facing, with a major view of the Mediterranean, this new state of Burgundy would wind up facing north and look upon the North Sea. King John's youngest son, Philip the Bold, and yes, he had already earned that nickname by the time he became Duke, would have a chance to make something out of this nascent state. Next time, we'll take a look at the life of Philip and see how he formed the duchy and a few scattered counties into something more like its own country, paving the way for a new power in Western Europe, even if that isn't necessarily what he had in mind. Thanks for listening.